Yeah, rebe rebellious. Um, and uh, what is our will? Yeah, so in, in rebellion, what does our will want to do to the king of the universe who, to whom we owe our allegiance? Yeah, our, our will is not aligned with our king and our God. And, and so we're, we're defiant to the gospel. We're defiant to, I have need for Jesus. And, and our will is, we are unwilling to admit that. Unwilling to follow our king after admitting that. And so there's this, there's this will thing. And we, all, we all know this with, with people that we want to see come to faith, uh, you know, we see, you know, they recognize, um, like I did with such and such, if I believe, it'll mean this for me. And I'm not willing to go there. Um, like when I was um, coming to faith and reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew and got to the... Um, Beatitudes and, and some of the things Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, I thought the standard is perfection, moral perfection. It's um, not having hatred for your enemies in your heart. Um, and I knew that was part of who I was and I was not willing to go there. You know, that was a real blockade for me. My will needed to be renewed. I need a new will, not that will that said, I want to do my own thing. And if God's will is different from mine, I'm doing my will instead. Um, and so in effectual calling, that gets broken. Um, you know, you can recognize that as part of repentance. We're, we're broken, our, our, our stubbornness of will, um, both in terms of uh, um, uh, admitting, our, our admitting our need, but also... Um, uh, our, our, um, what we see will come after that. Our following, our following our King, if we admit He is. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Um, there's a there's a willful disobedience uh, in uh, disbelief of the gospel. That's why Peter and Paul both call believing in Jesus obedience to the gospel. Both of them talk about saving faith in that way. Obedience to the gospel. When you obeyed the gospel, they say. Um, and and that's, that's it. That's that breaking of a stubborn will against uh, God's truths that condemn us. Okay, what, what else do you see there in, in effectual calling? So we're convinced of our sin and misery. Our uh, minds are enlightened. Um, our wills are renewed. Yes, you've been in the church a while. Just read it. <laughs> That's almost always the answer. Just read it. <laughs> so what, what does that mean? Uh, he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ. So what about the persuade part? How could we just say that in a sentence or two? We're convinced that he's worth it. Yeah, we're convinced that he's, he's worth it. We're persuaded before we thought it won't be worth it. Or that um, I'm not that big of a sinner, that I don't need forgiveness. And so we get persuaded. We're not persuaded until the Holy Spirit does his work 
in us. Till then, we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1. Okay? And so we get persuaded to embrace Jesus Christ. And then what about the enabled part? Yeah, Matthew. You're unable to accept the gift that's provided to you without the work of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. in a theoretical, if you could somehow theoretically come up with a situation wherein you wanted it, yeah. you would still have, still be unable to get it until you were given the ability to do it. But yeah. There is no theoretical situation. Right. Yeah. And, and so um, you see it in John 3, 3. Go ahead and turn to John 3, 3. And while we're doing that, Steve, yeah, question. So the enabled... In essence, he's brought us back from life. He's brought us to life from death because we're dead in our sin and trespasses. How much ability do we have when we're dead? None. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, when we see, when we're being persuaded, we've already been converted. This is all going, all these things, all at, at once. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in, in theology, and, and uh, as we're talking about these things, we talk generally about a, um, um, we don't say this is a chronological order, uh, but these are things that are happening kind of all at once. And, and there's, there's a little bit sometimes of microchronology in there. Um, you know, we need to see, you know, uh, before we believe. So there's a little, there's a chronology there. We don't believe and then see. Because if we didn't see, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't believe, right? Yeah, uh, but generally this is all kind of like, um, kind of like the second coming. You know, it's like all this stuff happens, and there's a little bit of chronology in there, but it's all the, it's all this stuff. It's just momentary convergence of multiple factors. Great, great summary. Yes. Or, yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, nature plays out this exact scenario without. Chronology yeah. involved at the quantum yeah. level, where, for instance, yes, everyone tie into this. I know you're wondering how does this relate yeah. to the quantum level, I mean, and I here we go. I think it's amazing because, like, for instance, a, a single photon can be both a wave function and also uh, a physical photon, a like, uh, like light. Yeah. And so, you know, how we, we have refused to believe two differing things can occur at the same time. Yeah. We have natural scientific evidence that, in fact, it can. Yeah. And so this doesn't... And in, in simpler science, light is both a wave and a particle. That's right. I agree that. Yeah. Seventh, down to seventh grade science level. I don't think that's seventh grade. Um, well, I, and I, I, I know people get sick of me sharing this sort of thing, but like I think that's amazing because this, this kind of assaults reason that this could be non-chronological yeah but in fact there's an abundance of evidence that nature works this way at least yeah. at a certain level yeah in a non-newtonian way yeah so could we sing amazing quantum grace all right so uh john 3 3 um mike could you read that for us and would you? Yes. <laughs> uh, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Okay. So key word there is can. And if you want to get fancy, if you ever heard Sproul talk about this, or if you want to learn Greek, you know, the, the Greek word for can is dunamis. 
and the, the do, the U is actually, we convert to a Y. So that means dynamis, like dynamite or dynamic. It's energy, it's ability. It's that word, can. So, uh, so in light of that, seeing enabled there or can or power in that word can, look back down at verse three, and what's Jesus telling Nicodemus? Yeah, no one has the ability um, to see. And now, remember, we're in John. He's already told us in chapter 1, yeah, that people, people you know, one, are, are, we, we know are, are, are dead, but two, they don't have light. They're in darkness, and they don't have life. Because Jesus is the giver of life. He's the giver of light. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, here's why you don't see. Here's why you don't understand, because you can't. Why, why can't you see, Jesus says in verse 3. You haven't been born again. You haven't been born from above. You've been born physically. You have a brain that works. You have an audio processing system from your ears, sound waves up to your mind that works. Uh, but you don't have spiritual life because I haven't given it to you, Nicodemus. And that's why you don't understand. You have some sense that this is different and there's truth in what I've been saying. You know, Nicodemus has been hearing Jesus talk. And so he comes to him and, and says, basically, I'm confused, but I know you're a great teacher. And, and Jesus explains to him, here's what's going on in you, Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, he cannot, he does not have the power to see the kingdom of God. And and what's the gospel that Jesus brings out? The kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus has all, had heard all this teaching of the gospel, all this teaching of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, but you don't see it, Nicodemus. I understand that you don't understand, that you don't see it, that you don't understand, Nicodemus, because you need to be born from above. And so then it gets into verses five through eight. It says, you know, the, the, the wind blows where it will, you know, and you, you don't see it, but you can hear the leaves rustling. Um, and you never know when, if you're standing there and there's no wind, you don't know if in five seconds there's going to be a breeze blow or not. You don't know until it happens, until it's there. And then the breeze is there and you say, oh, a breeze, but you can't look a hundred yards out unless you're maybe bow or pilot or something like that. And you can't see that there's breeze out in front of you because it's not seen. Um, but the spirit of God works that way in effectual calling in blowing upon somebody and causing all these things um, to happen so that a person can see or have their third line here, their mind enlightened and them to be convinced. One second, they're not convinced of their sin and misery. The very next second, they are. One minute, their minds aren't en enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. They may know something about, the, about Christ. You know, lots of people know about Christ. They've heard about him, but their minds aren't enlightened about him. 
um, their wills are resistant and rebellious, and and the next second they're not. Their, their wills united with with um, uh, the purposes of God for their for their life. Uh, one minute they're not persuaded, the next they are. One minute they um, are not, and this is all because. And here's the confluence of events. One, it's because they weren't enabled to embrace Jesus Christ before, and now they they are. Um, and so it's it's like um, uh, part of the enabling is is that the gospel is getting up to the second floor. The only way you can get up to the second floor is there's a staircase, but you're uh, quadriplegic. Okay, so you need to be enabled um, to get up to the top of the stairs. And in regeneration and in effectual calling, the Spirit of God comes and sweeps you up and brings you to the the second floor and then gives you legs to walk and arms to, to move around. In all the churches I've grown up in, the appeal was always to your mind. That is, they'd explain the scriptures and yeah. you yeah. had to make a choice. Right. You had to decide. Right. Or and else then... Was, or else it was very emotional. Yeah. And, you know, they sing every verse is just as I am, all six <laughs> verses, and then if no one came forward, they sing Repeat it. it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. 10 to 12 verses until someone came forward. But it was all very much And all the congregation said, please, somebody believe. <laughs> Let's get out of here. It was just a pressure situation. Yeah. It wasn't the spirit of God opening yeah. hearts. It was us deciding. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the churches are full of non-Christians yeah. who think they're Christian. Yeah. 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 I agree, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, um, uh, go, go ahead, Matthew. Yeah. And more often than not, I'd say that most people went up yeah. out of a sense of guilt, but not the spiritual guilt that we talk about here, yeah. the, the yeah. judgment from everybody else, societal yeah. guilt. That, yeah. That really um, doesn't really result in anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, if, you're, if your only measure of what is wrong is what society says, yeah. A, it's exhausting because it's constantly changing. But right. B, that's why altar calls you know, work. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just a, a kind of a, a, an effect of what we're talking about here. If you understand that belief is by effectual calling, belief is by the work of God's Spirit in somebody, versus somebody comes to faith by a decision of their own mind with their own ability or with their own emotional whatever, um, if someone doesn't believe and salvation is based on this and you tell this person the gospel seven times, then what's your attitude toward this person? If you believe that it's up to them. There. I'm not talking about you, nice you, who you are because God's spirit's made you that way. If you believe this. Yeah, you're judgmental and mean, and you're angry at the person because they haven't believed. Come on, get with the program. I did. That I don't get really, right? really discouraged yeah. from uh, sharing the gospel because it's not working. Yeah. yeah, and you can get discouraged as the gospel share that it's not that not working. But you can get angry at people for not believing. 
Uh, think of kind of fundamentalistic culture looking at the United States. And I don't mean like in the last five years where everything's just blown up, but I mean like the 80s, 90s, you know, 2000s, that kind of thing. If you believe that belief is all up to you, then you're angry at the people who aren't believing. You're angry at the people who are advocating terrible things, right? But if you understand this, that this, this person is just blind and they don't have spiritual life because they haven't been born again, how does that affect our attitude toward this person who has not yet believed? What's, what's our attitude if we understand that it all depends on the Spirit's timing? Yeah, compassion, pity. Oh, man, they, they've just gone four, year, four more years without faith and they continue to do things that are damaging them. And that drives us to compassion because we see, you know, this is all up to the Lord. And, and if the Lord doesn't want to save them ever, that is, if they're not elect, we're driven to compassion for this person because they're going to have a hard life. Okay? And a hard, an even harder eternity. But if, but if they are elect and, and they're just going longer, you know, a longer time, they're just stacking up more things, you know, more trouble that when they do come to faith, they're going to have to work out of, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and that whatever step, who knows what step that is where you go around and apologize to everybody? Five. Five. So step five, where you go around and apologize. Nine sounds right. I've watched Seinfeld, James Spader. I'm just glad that it worked. Yeah, but but really, I mean, my dad came to faith at 45, and and he was a moral man, moral. No, I am on the front of that. He was a moral person, and he taught us. He raised. We were practically Christians outside of the spirit. I mean, in terms of how we behaved. You know, all the, the bad stuff we weren't doing because he had, you know, pointed out to us, you know, how, you know, what this does to your life. Because his parents were devout, devout believers. <laughs> so he had raised us kind of as Christians without any of the heart there. But then he came to faith at, at 45 and he just realized all these things in his life and patterns and that kind of thing that were still in the, in the moral realm but were wrong. He, he was working out of these things that had developed in his life. And so that brings compassion. For, you know, bring, and that's why this church is a lovely place, because we understand that regeneration and effectual calling precedes faith. And that's Calvinism. Regeneration precedes faith. You can't believe unless you're alive. You can't believe unless you can see. If you're dead, you can't see. And, and Arminianism is the opposite. It says faith earns you. They wouldn't say earn. But faith actuates or earns you life and understanding. When you believe, then God gives you his spirit as a gift for you being such a good person and believing. And because you're spiritually smarter than the guy who hasn't believed and the, your, you know, your mom who hasn't believed or whoever it is. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's most of Christianity. I believed and therefore God gave me the spirit as a gift versus what Jesus is saying here. Nicodemus, here's why you haven't believed. 
because you don't have the spirit yet. The spirit hasn't blown upon you. And so you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. And that's why you don't understand. But as soon as the spirit of God regenerates you and effectually calls you, then you're, you're convinced of your sin and misery. Your mind is enlightened. Um, your, new, your will is renewed. You've embraced Jesus Christ as he was freely offered to you. He's freely offered to you before, but you didn't. None of these things were true of you because you needed effectual calling. You needed regeneration upon your life. See how this is grace? I didn't. Why did you believe? Well, because I became convinced that such and such and such and such. Me, me, me. And the, the answer is, why did you believe? Because God gave me sight. In my blindness, God gave me sight. In my death, in the, the, the grave of my spiritual condition, I was Lazarus, four days dead, in the grave. And he gave me life. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And that, that's effectual calling. That's regeneration. God gives us life by his spirit. And then he, he brings the gospel to us. And we say, this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Matthew and, and Steve. <laughs> Anyone surprised? Yeah. No. <laughs> so it, it really kind of really highlights the, yeah. the damaging of the bookend uh, effects of, of attacking sin from a non-Christian standpoint. Like, for instance, the Westboro Church. Yeah. They call out something that's inarguably sin. Yeah. So Westboro Baptist Church is somewhere. Where is it? Kansas. Kansas. And they put out signs and that kind of stuff. And they say, because you're homosexual, you're going to hell, right? Is Among that the deal? Things, yeah, Among great, other things? It's okay. Great hate okay. And, and, you know, we won't go to the hate language that they, they, you know, they put up there. But it's very hate-filled. And it appeals mm -hmm. to the non-believing public because they don't like what we stand for anyways. Mm -hmm. So it gives them a reason to dislike yeah. us further. Right. It's like, look how hateful they are. Right. But, you know, if based on what we're learning here, which, which mm -hmm. is true, there should be absolutely no hate yeah. involved right. in, quote, pointing out sin, you know, people. And right. then on the other side... Right, and just to, just to highlight that, yeah. so you don't ho hate a homosexual person, and even if a homosexual person were your enemy and trying to do you harm, what does Jesus tell you to do to that person? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you shouldn't hate anybody. Yeah. For, love your love your neighbor and 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 love your enemy, forgive him, pray for him, because God, Luke six forty four ish, I think, you know, loves the wicked and ungrateful, and so be like your Father in heaven. Yeah. Right. And then, but you know, so they're calling that out is, is purely motivated on this idea that what you do is you know why you deserve this hate type thing. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have you know people saying love the sinner, hate the sin type thing. And that's, mm. you know, that's also kind of incomplete in it because mm. it misses the point as well. Yeah. You know, you should love, you should love everybody, but yeah. still there's no point in hating the sin as attached to that person because they still can't not sin. Yeah. And just, just a little pastoral point for you as you, you are among people, Christians or non-Christians, when their sin, when, like say someone comes up to you and says, I've done this, and they reveal their sin to you, 
your response is not hatred or anger. Your response is compassion because you understand that sin damages the person. And so when someone says, I've done this great sin, you respond in compassion because they've walked into stuff that they've got to walk out of now. And they've done all this damage to them. And, you know, like, so like, for instance, homosexuality is not something we, we are, we don't hate the homosexual, but we realize they're damaging themselves uh, uh, socially, uh, spiritually, physically. You know, homosexuals die earlier. That's statistically true. You know, they're doing things with their bodies that damage their bodies. Um, and so we view the homosexual person or whoever it is and whatever kind of sin that they're in with compassion. Um, the atheist who's, who's uh, lecturing, you know, against for atheism at college campuses, we view that person with compassion because what's that doing to their life personally? And how is that scarring their souls in terms of, you know, the, 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 the grace and love and compassion that they could receive from God? The knowledge that God is sovereign in the midst of their troubles. They don't get they don't get that. And so all their troubles, they've had to take very hard. They don't have a solution to anything. And so we view the unbeliever in their unbelief and in their sin with compassion. And that, you know, it, it has a furry tail and gray, you know, fur and that kind of thing. Sounds like a squirrel, but we'll say that sounds like Jesus. Seeing the prostitute, seeing the tax collector and realizing all the damage they've been doing, what, you know, how damaged they are because of their sin. And he doesn't condemn them. He meets them with compassion and patience and love because he sees this is someone I made who bears my image and the image is marred and they're in all this pain. Uh, they're not admitting all the pain that they've caused to themselves, uh, but still that's, that's the case. Yeah, Steve. So the last line up there, mm -hmm. freely offered to us in the gospel. Yeah. First of all, this truth takes so much weight off the shoulders of the believer. Yes. I mean, this this has brought more relief to me. Yeah. Because if I chose God, it's like, oh, I invited you in. Right. Well, now I got to maintain him. Right. Yeah. And if it was you who got him in, can you get him out? That that question's very open. Yeah. <laughs> So, but when we read this statement, it says freely offered to us in the gospel. Yeah. Would that be more correctly freely offered to the elect in the gospel? Mm -mm. Just the opposite. Yeah. The gospel is freely offered to everybody. But the non-elect, will there ever come a time where they take it? But was it freely offered? Yeah. So if you're completely in the dark and... Um, uh, that uh, and you are also deaf, which scripture says you are, but say those things are true physically. You're in a room, it's completely dark, and you're deaf. And I shout into the room, and you're extremely hungry. And I shout into the room, just keep walking, hold your hands out, there's a buffet line for you. You don't hear that, do you? And you don't see that there's a buffet line there. Um, and so you never take the, but it's free. You just don't take it. It's it's like when you get some, um, you know, uh, email something that, you know, the government is offering you this free benefit or something like that that you didn't know about. You but know, free to dead people is not... It's still free. 
I can, I can, I can offer. They won't take it, but that doesn't mean they it's not free. They can't take it. Exactly, but it's still free. Okay, I, I can put a million dollars in your house, but if you're dead because you just had a heart attack, the million dollars is still there and it's free for you to take, but you're not going to take it. But it's freely offered. It seems so dark. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But do you see it? Those are different things that 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 scripture distinguishes. Uh, Jesus preaches the gospel to all. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations or preach the gospel to all creation. Um, and, and the the uh, command is never figure out who the elect is and offer it to them. And so and part of the the. Um, Part of the guilt that someone stands with at final judgment is that the gospel was freely offered to them and that they truly did not want it. And they were not. Um, um, and, and that was truly Jonathan Edwards gets into this in, in his book, Freedom of the Will. They really didn't want it. When you go to the nonbeliever who doesn't have the spirit of God in him or her um, and you say, um, Jesus will forgive your sins and you can be a part of the church and you can be there every Sunday and all these people will love you and be your friends. They say, I don't want it. Not interested. And, and truly that's the case. And, and book of Revelation shows us that even when Jesus appears, people grab their swords to fight him instead of bowing the knee or they hide in, hide in a cave because truly what you, what I wanted was not Jesus. What we wanted is demonstrated in John 18. What shall I do with your king? And we shout, crucify him. That's what we want. That's God leaving us alone. That's God not interfering with us. He's not actively making us disbelieve. He's leaving us alone. And unless he gives us the ability, unless he interferes with us in grace, we don't believe. And so, and we're very content being blind and being deaf. And when we get any inkling that there is something else out there, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness because we don't want it. Uh, we see the demoniac healed in Gennesaret and we say, Jesus, get out of town. Right? They just saw this. Or, or we're like the Pharisees who see the man born blind that they knew was born blind. He was there at the temple every day. They see him receive his, they see that man receive his sight from Jesus. And that man says, who is the son of man that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, he who is speaking to you is he. And he bows down in worship because he's been regenerated. But the Pharisees don't deny that it's happened. It says right there in the text, <laughs> everyone knows this great miracle has been done. They acknowledge it um, and they apply uh, political and social pressure. If you say this has happened, you'll be thrown out of the synagogue. The blind man says, well, it did happen. I'm just going to tell you what's true. I was blind and now I see. I don't know who this man is yet, but he's probably not a sinner because who's ever heard of man born blind who can now see. Um, and and they... they um, uh, continue to disbelieve and they don't want Jesus. They don't want his teaching, which they're amazed at. Um, they, they don't want his forgiveness. And that's, that's you 
That's me, apart from regeneration, apart from effectual calling. That's God saying, okay, you want to be left alone? I'll leave you alone, except I'll keep your corpuscles together. And I'll do all, all kinds of, because Jesus holds all things together, Colossians 1, 16, 17, uh, 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 Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. He's holding, literally holding you together. But other than that, and other than keeping lots of terrible things happening to you, and you not getting what your sins deserve right now, um, I'll let you be in regard to what you want to believe and how you want to live your life. That's, that's God giving people what they want. And, and so um, uh, 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 Lake of Fire is, is ultimately giving people what they want. They don't, they don't want Jesus. And when it comes um, and, and gives them every, you know, Book of John's full of it, every conceivable kind of proof that he is God come to forgive sins, um, they say, get out of here. Get off the planet. Um, and they're screaming for this and they're mocking him. Yeah. And that's, and that's us. That's not the bad non-Christian. That's us apart from effectual calling. We're not the good people who understood things. We're the people screaming, crucify him. And then Jesus comes and regenerates us. And we say, I was screaming that. And he came to save me. And we bow the knee instead of, and we put our short sword back in its sheath. Yeah. I think what makes some people, Christians, uncomfortable is that, yeah, there's the chosen and the non-chosen. But the, what the chosen have to realize is we don't know who the elect chosen, are. who yeah. the elect are. Yeah. And so that's why you offer the gospel freely. Yeah. Because just because you don't see it happen, mm -hmm. or you know no, this person doesn't say accept Christ yeah. then or whatever, um, doesn't mean they're not going to. And right. we don't know that. Yeah. That's that's God's decision and and God's timing. Like right. you said, we don't know. They may later. They yeah. May later they may not. So you know some people say it's unfair. Yeah. But it's it's we don't know that. Yeah. We don't know. See, and the thing is, it's absolutely fair right. because God is giving them what they want. And so a little bit, let me, I just, you know, another illustration for you, Steve, in terms of freely offered to us in the gospel. It, it, it's you offering a free, I, I like blueberry pancakes. It's you offering a free blueberry pancake breakfast. You used to get blue, uh, ever had Perkins pancakes? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's something in those that's different. And everything else. So uh, uh, there used to be a Perkins at the Capitol Boulevard exit. Yeah, it's not there. Um, but uh, you offer on Main Street here in Clayton free um, blueberry pancake breakfast. Um, and all you have to do is come and it's 7 a.m. Okay, I can sit in my house in River Athletic Club and say, I love blueberry pancakes, but I'm tired and not come. Does the fact that I haven't come mean that that wasn't freely offered? No. It was freely offered. And had I come, I would have had blueberry pancakes. It was already, you know, it's, you know, there for me. And as soon as I come, it's like, okay, pour the batter or whatever. You know, I, I'm breaking the illustration a little bit there. 
but but it's free and it's freely offered and it's announced to all of Clayton whoever wants to come to Main Street on 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning free pancakes uh, but you're not gonna get everybody there only a few uh, because for some people it's a hassle it's like Jesus said you know some people are like well let me bury my father first or let me do this first or let me take care of this or the banquet you know where people say but I just got married and I want to come to the wedding banquet or I've got a field to, to, to plow and they're dealing with these things that are eternally insignificant but it's more important than coming to the king's banquet for his son yeah and and so that's what Jesus is teaching there it's just like it's free and you're invited um, but um, if you don't come you don't get the banquet and ultimately because you didn't uh, come to the banquet you'll be destroyed. Yeah, because you didn't honor the king's son. I mean, it goes kind of, it goes deeper than that too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, as my, mom, my mother was saying, that, you know, I think our concept of fundamental fairness and equity prevent us from- Oh yeah, thank, thanks for that word. So, you know, Sproul helpfully says, you know, and he talks about one time when he was debating an, an atheist on campus and, and somebody from the, from the crowd saying, you know, well, if someone um, is punished eternally for their sins, that's not fair. And Sproul says, you want fair? And fair is suffering for all your sins. And not just that they were an offense to God, but all your sins affected other people in negative ways. Uh, and so that's what's fair. People assume they're innocent and that God's the meaning. And what's happened is God was sustaining them all their lives. Giving, filling their bellies full of food and giving them joy in their hearts at times through their lives is what Paul says to maybe the Iconians. And and, um, and so it's, it's, it's a spoiled brat response to say this isn't fair because God has provided for them. Every good thing they've ever experienced is from the hand of God. And then they're accusing God of not being fair when they haven't done a lick for him. Yeah. And I was going to say that trying to understand the complete picture starting from the center of the picture as opposed to from the exterior in if from a very rational and logical standpoint if we understood the entire story as laid out mm -hmm. in the bible yeah we can't even begin to trust our concepts of equality and fairness as it pertains to spiritual matters because everything has been perverted by sin and that involves yeah. that includes our concepts of equity and fairness, but then yeah. you start from the beginning yeah. and consider the end. God creates everything, therefore yeah. has ownership and agency over everything. Right. Created everything with a certain set of rules. Our ancestors, or our ancestor, broke it. Yeah. Sin, you know, came in, perverts everything. Yeah. There should be absolutely no rational or logical expe expe uh, expectation yeah. for anything to operate outside of what it says in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. So like when we when we say, well, it's unfair that, you know, they're getting punished and they weren't elect. Yeah. As you said, yeah. what's fair is yeah. that they are being punished. Yeah. What's technically unfair from that standpoint yeah. is that we aren't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. And from, from the absolute human perspective, yes. And then we say, well, how's God get over that with his justice and the fairness? The fairness is our sins were punished. They were just placed upon Jesus and punished. Right. And that's, that's, uh, 
Yeah. Let's go to uh, uh, Revelation 20. So good good discussion there and very important things and, and worthy of us uh, having time. And so we're compassionate with our non-believing friends because we realize, you know, they, they do need to hear the gospel, but also, you know, they, they, they need the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. They need regeneration of the Holy Spirit and able to see and to hear, and they need a new heart, as God tells us um, in Ezekiel. Okay, so turn to Revelation 20. So we're looking, um, uh, verse 4 here, uh, we've been talked and we went through that timeline and, and um, some of you took pictures of that up there. Uh, a lot a lot happening here. Um, John uh, is, has seen this uh, vision of, of Satan cast down, um, the nations being deceived for a thousand years and after that set free for a short time. And what's that short time, what happens in that short time that Satan's set free? No, he's been deceiving the nations for a thousand years, but after the thousand years, final battle. Okay, he's set free for a short time, final battle. And then verse four, um, let's read, um, uh, let's read through, um, well, through six. So four, four through six. And uh, how about we start with um, Jim and Christina and then Bob and across that row there. Okay, let's work uh, from the bottom of this upward, because uh, as we start in four and five, we, we start to, it raises different questions for us, and then the questions get answered if we've got some definitions from uh, verses uh, six and then up to five. So um, uh, let's look at that last sentence there of verse six, and uh, what, what's the, the subject there? Subject of the sentence, think grammatically if, you, if you're a grammar person at all, and if you are, speak up. Those who have... No, what's the subject? What's the actor of the verb? The second death, okay. So the second death has no power. So that's the verb, second death. Um, and now uh, we could say, what's, what's that? We could grab some definition of it here in this passage, or we could cheat, and we could go to chapter... Uh, uh, 20, uh, verse uh, 14, or, or, yeah, verse 14, um, and let's read that. Who's up for, who's next in reading? Laura. Ah, um, oh, is, there's a definition for us. The lake of fire is the second death. Okay, so that kind of answers that question. Now, 
when when are death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire? What's what's our context up in verses um, um, eleven through fifteen? Final At final judgment. Okay, and the uh, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire after they've done what in the verse or two before? Yeah, Joyce? Given up their dead. Okay, so, so hell, Hades, hands over the souls. Uh, the, the sea is, uh, verse 13, gave up the dead that were in them, speaking of, you know, physical resurrection. And so souls and bodies are reunited there and, and stand before Jesus. And everyone is judged according to the books that have recorded everything they've done and said. Okay, uh, verse uh, 12 and verse uh, 13 both say that. Um, and so uh, death and Hades, they... they uh, um, Death, there's no more um, dying that will occur, just the second death. And this second death is verse 15 for human beings. What's, what, what's their experience of the second death? Yeah, they're thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So to experience the, the second death is to be, to be in the lake of fire. Okay, see all that there? Okay. Um, and so... Um, uh, back to uh, back to verse six, um, we read the second death has no power over them. Okay, so who would that be that the second death has no power over? Who's not going to the lake of fire, which is the second death? Who's not going to the lake of fire? Believers. believers. So the believers are not experiencing the second death. Okay, so that's what we have there in that last sentence of verse 6. The second death has no power over believers. Okay, them. The second death has no power over believers, but they, who's they? Believers. Um, will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for, yes, a thousand years. So what time period are we here in? in this verses four through six in contrast to the time period we're in verses 11 through 15 and 21 and following what period are we in in verses four through six ascension to second coming coming. and how many years is that A a thousand years see that's all defined here for us we're not making this up we're not pulling definitions from the sky okay um they will so the second death has no power over them so they don't have uh, they will not go forward into that they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years so during the period of time between the ascension of Christ and his descension that is his coming back um, what is true for the souls of believers read it What's true for the souls of believers? We will be priests of God. Priests of God reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so believers' souls are with Christ. Um, uh, We don't have a, a, a second death coming before us. Priests of God somehow ministering. Now, this is not really defined, but if we needed to, needed that to find right now, guess what God would have done? Inscripturated it. Inscripturated it. Okay, so don't create heresy. 
Don't go farther than scripture is going or further than scripture is going um, and say, okay, in some way we will be reigning with Christ. Okay, Christ is seated on his throne right now. He's ascended. He sat down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 1, 3 or 4. I always forget which it is. I think it's Hebrews 1, 3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so he's reigning. Um, uh, Ephesians 1, 23, all rule and authority and, and, and all principalities have been placed under his feet for the sake of the church. Okay, so we've seen the souls of, of believers in uh, Revelation 6 around the throne. And what's their prayer in that fifth seal there in Revelation 6? Yeah, Joyce? How long until you avenge our blood? So they're entreating Jesus. And that's a priestly function, isn't it? Priests in the temple, in the tabernacle, are, are entreating the Lord on behalf of the people. Be merciful, O God. See, this death has occurred in place of them. And so be merciful as you said you would be merciful. Forgive as you would forgive through the death of this animal in place of this person who's sinned. Okay, so there's at least that. We see that dead souls are entreating Christ um, and, are, and are against those who would harm God's people. So we can, we can go that far in terms of how we're priests and how we're reigning, but probably not a whole lot further than that. Because we just don't, we don't see other definition in scripture of what reigning with Christ during this thousand years means. Okay. Um, any questions on that sentence there? So dead souls are with Jesus. They are uh, priests of God. Now, you know, that's true of you already. First Peter uh, 2, 10. Okay. We're a holy priesthood or a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Okay, Peter says that of believers during his day. It's true of us. So we're ministering as believers. We've been gifted by the Spirit to minister to others. Um, and so everybody's doing that. Everybody's gifted in the church. And so everybody is priestly in the church because we're all ministering with the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us. Um, but in a greater and more exalted sense, in heaven we continue in that role probably in a greater way, um, reigning with Christ. And maybe that's just we're by him and saying, every time Jesus saves somebody, we say, yes, woohoo! <laughs> you know, we're joining the angels of, of uh, Luke 15, when the woman finds the lost coin or the shepherd finds the lost sheep or the, the uh, father regains his lost son and the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sheep, over one lost coin and Maybe that's how we're reigning. We're just in his court saying, yes, do that, Jesus. That's great. Glad we have your wisdom greater than Solomon, Jesus, to do this thing, to save him. Wow. Oh, that's great. You know, maybe that's our, our reigning. Maybe we're doing more. Um, but uh, look at right above this sentence. Above us reigning with Christ for this thousand years, for this time between the um, resurrections. 
or, of G, or between the, the advents of Jesus, his ascension and his descension in the second coming. Um, what's it say at the beginning of verse 6? Yeah, blessed are they, uh, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. So what's that mean if they if John says there's a first resurrection? There's a, there's a second resurrection. Yeah, and I, I mentioned to you before, and this is not John being brilliant. Anyone you read on Revelation will tell you that you know there's a first resurrection mentioned. Uh, you know the the words or the first resurrection is mentioned. The words second resurrection are not, those two words are not together in Revelation. But also there's second death mentioned, and you know, not first death. You know, you just don't have those, but you're to assume that. You're to fill in the blanks here. Um, so, uh, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. So, what is the se second resurrection, and where do we see that close to this passage here? What's the second resurrection? Bodily resurrection, final judgment. And we see that in um, uh, the verse 13. Um, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Okay. Bodily resurrection. Or um, uh, you, can, you can see it not as explicitly in verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. So they're standing there. There's this bodily resurrection. So that's the second resurrection. But we're told that these people in the thousand years who are blessed and holy, what have they already taken part in? The first resurrection. The first resurrection. So how would we define the first resurrection? I know what you're saying. So, soul resurrection when? At death. Okay? Soul resurrection... Physical resurrection is your second is the second resurrection. It's bodily resurrection at the, when Jesus comes back in First Thessalonians four and five when we meet him in the air. And if your body was dead in the grave or in a tomb or at sea or wherever it was, it will be raised and joined with your soul that's been with Jesus in heaven. Then it comes with him in fine linen. Or if you're alive at the time when Jesus comes back in this all First Thessalonians four, we'll meet him in the air. In our bodies, but our bodies will be changed. Um, Colossians uh, uh, or Philippians uh, uh, three twenty and twenty one. Our bodies will be changed. We'll be given a body like Jesus' body, a, a final, a glorious body. Um, and so, uh, second resurrection is bodily resurrection. First resurrection is what happens to your soul the moment you die. Okay, when Jesus takes your soul to Himself. That's the first resurrection, and that's how you can be around the throne saying, How long, O Lord, till you avenge our blood? That's how you can be, uh, at the end of verse 6, um, priests of God and of Christ and reigning with him for the thousand years. Okay, and you can kind of see how this is not a definite period of time, thousand years. Whenever you join in, you join in. Whether that's you die a year before Christ returns or a week before Christ returns or, you know, so far, 2,000 years before Christ returns. If you, you know, were James, the you know, brother of John, and you're dying at, at about A.D. 44. You know, so, yeah, Charlene, and then we'll, we'll break.
Um, verse 5. Yeah. Um, let's get into that next week because okay. we're at um, six minutes till worship. Um, but we'll work back up and remind me of that, Charlene. Um, so what we're seeing, what we're seeing here is um, the the first uh, resurrection. Uh, blessed, who's blessed? Believers. Who's holy? Who's set apart? Believers. We, when we die, we experience the first resurrection. Uh, we get to see in soul and be with Jesus in soul. We get to depart and be with Christ. Uh, Philippians one twenty three, which is better by far. And so our souls don't rest with our bodies in the grave when we die. Um, so, right? The souls of believers are at their death in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection, the second resurrection. Right, um, but uh, that uh, but our bodies are still united to Christ, but separated from our souls, who have immediately passed into glory, to be with Christ, as as Paul says in um, Philippians one twenty three and Second Corinthians um, five verses six through eight, or where we see that to to be at home in the body is to be away from the Lord. And to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through, 6 through 8. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you have done all these great things for us. Jesus, thank you for accomplishing our salvation. Spirit of God, thank you for regenerating us, for effectually calling us to yourself, for enabling us to see and to believe and to embrace you. Uh, cause us in our, our hearts and our minds to understand that well, that uh, we embraced you once you gave us life. And so our salvation was all a thing of, of grace. Um, who, having eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, wouldn't embrace you? Not a person. So thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us light and eyes to see. We pray that... Uh, with the understanding that you've given us, that you would work in us by your spirit to worship you well now and to understand the truths that we're looking at as we come to worship you. And we pray this in Christ's name, Father. Amen. Great questions. Good discussion this morning. And so we'll pick up uh, working our way back. We, we hit the last part of verse five. And so everyone try to remember that. I always forget, but we'll, we'll work. I remember this week where we were, but um, uh, we'll work back up from verse uh, the end of verse five and 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 work back up to to verse four there. Okay, um, just a few minutes. If you need to go to the restroom, do that quickly, and then we'll start in a couple. <laughs>